Every journey begins with a question. Our journey begins with this one. How can we lead to make the world better? Here we explore that question through journeys of great success and accomplishment, confronting challenges and overcoming obstacles with leaders from around the globe whose experience covers a vastly diverse range of background, sector, role and expertise. One common thread unites them all. They are all leaders striving to make the world better. They are all better world leaders. One of the things we try to do at Better World Leaders is provide a diverse range of guests whose experience, insights and wisdom you can learn from and apply to your own work as a leader who strives to create our better world. The leader that I'm very excited to share the co-created conversation with today is Paul Leeson, who has been striving to create a better world for a while. Paul leads in the sectors of energy, resources, and manufacturing as the managing director of that practice for Oricon, a global engineering consulting and advisory firm. Paul's meaningful moments include being an opportunity to move into wind power at a very, very early stage in Australia's journey with renewables. And he's really just kind of thrown himself headlong into this endeavour of working with renewables, with all kinds of alternate modes of generating stability and continuity in the infrastructure transitions that need to occur and now with increasing urgency in order to create a more sustainable, fairer and more opportune better world for all of us. So with no further ado, welcome to the conversation with Paul Gleeson. Paul Gleeson, it's been a little while coming, but I'm very glad that we're here. Welcome to the Better World Leaders podcast. Thank you, Tim. Great to be here. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for a while, ever since I came across you in social media and was drawn to what I perceived as an alignment of values and intention and purpose from what you were sharing. Um, And then we started to, you know, sort of get into our interactions and the preamble to today. It's it's just been an elevation for me um, of anticipation and uh, and recognition that that alignment is there. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this. Me too, yes, and uh, hopefully I can live up to that uh, heady introduction. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. So first of all, uh, just very briefly, if you could just share with us where you are in the world today. So sure. So uh, I'm Managing Director of Energy and Resources and Water for a engineering designer and advisory firm called Oricon. Uh, I'm based in Brisbane, Australia. Thank you for the intro in full. Um, and let's just start with a little bit of the of the sort of context that has come before. Um, so whether, you know, we use the term backstory or you know, journey, heroic or otherwise, um, just share with us as much as you would like to of sort of where you've come from to bring you to where you are today. Sure. So uh, I'm an engineer by training. I graduated uh, from uni about 25 years ago uh, as a mechanical engineer and went straight into working in the energy sector. 
a sector I was really drawn to um, for a number of reasons. And so, yeah, so that's what I was chasing. When As soon as I left uni, that's where I wanted to go and, and was fortunate enough to get um, my first role in a, in a heavy engineering company that um, to build power stations, basically. And, uh, and so the journey since then has been... Um, it's been a pretty exciting one. It's been, um, you know, it's been up and down like everyone's. And I think um, for me, there are there are some really strong themes that have continued the whole way through, and and that's really been about um, about trying to do something that's important, impactful, meaningful. And I think that was one of the reasons I wanted to get into the energy sector in the first place. So if I look at the steps I've taken and the roles I've taken and the changes of uh, I guess embraced. They've largely been about chasing that. Yeah, that's and that's awesome because all of that stuff yeah, encapsulates so much of what we talk about here and what draws people to you know spend time in in this arena and you know sort of educate themselves with this kind of content that you know there are so many versions of the great work that needs to be done, um, but in a number of ways, like the space that you're in and the sector that you serve. Like that's where some real serious change has got to happen, like pretty damn quickly. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> no pressure, but you've got some work to do. Yeah, and and look, that's definitely part of the appeal for me. If it was a static environment where everything was fine and it was just tapping along, um, that really wouldn't do much for me. So, the fact that there is a huge task ahead is is really what gets me going, and. Uh, and I think when I look at where we are today on the energy transition globally, um, while there's still a mountain of work to be done, it's it's a lot more heartening than it was 10 years ago. You know, 10 years ago, we were really talking about what could be done, what should be done, with a lot of hypotheticals. Whereas you look at where we are today, um, I'm having to have a lot less conversations about should we and a lot more conversations about how do we do it. So that's, um, yeah. that, yeah. it isn't much, it, for me, it's, it's a less frustrating place than it was a decade ago. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I could completely understand that, that that is the case. Um, I mean, I think for me, uh, you know, sort of as an observer of your, of your sector, I would say it probably feels different to even where we were as little as six months ago. Um, and, and, to, and to put a bit of a timestamp on this conversation, as much as the, you know, sort of the overall message is going to be timeless, but we stand here today in May 2021. You know, we've recently had the IEA report that has been the sort of strongest indication from sort of mainstream, you know, sort of energy bodies that, that it is how, not should. Um, I think it was, I'm going to say yesterday, but it may have been the day before, but in Australia we had a high court ruling um, about the responsibility of the energy minister, um, you know, to basically protect the futures of young Australians uh, through making, you know, more basically effective, I would say, uh, decisions about, you know, sort of climate change and, and so forth. So, like, there is there is some very tenable, referenceable, um, I would almost be so bold as to say conclusions that the, the should debate is over. Um, now it's purely about whatever debate needs to come about how. Yeah, that's right. I think, uh, you know, there, there'll be always be sectors and groups who um, 
might try and take us back to that, but for most participants in the market, you know, it's moved past that. You can't actually waste any time now with the debate or trying to position yourself on the other side of the debate. We've seen that um, even this week, you know, um, some of the changes in a couple of the oil majors that happened at their AGMs where um, to make the well, shareholders I mean, of... Exxon was the big one, right? Like, mm. yeah, it was one of the, the sort of, you know, like big uglies, um, arguably for a lot of people, the ugliest, uh, you know, for a long time. I mean, I, it was a... Yeah, it was a salient moment for me in my childhood, the Exxon um, Valdez, right? Like, and, and obviously, you know, things hadn't necessarily, uh, you know, sort of improved in leaps and bounds, even since, you know, something as cataclysmic as that. But yeah, like th- even a business like Exxon is being kind of called to order by their own investors. Um, so yeah, it's it's all happening right now. Yeah, that's, that's right. And I think that um, what I like to do is, um, try and get away from sort of overly simplistic or binary conversations. You know, that, I think that's a place for mainstream media and perhaps some politicians to, to sort of uh, <laughs> go with the good and the evil. But like most things in life, when you delve into it, it's complex. It's more nuanced than that. And so it's easy to sort of look at the end state and say, in another decade, we'd like to be here, and a decade after that, we'd like to be here. But when you look at today and you say, they're talking about, you know, um, oil majors. I mean, most people still need that product to get around in their car or bus or whatever they're travelling in. And so while, you know, a lot of us are focused on the new tech and what's coming or, you know, the, the early adopters who are already in EVs, you know, that's a great place for us to be. But the rest of the population is still relying on that product to get around and live their lives and do their jobs and the rest of it. And so that understanding of what a transition means and that once we've decided that we're going to transition out of fossil fuels, as we have decided, um, and then we've got to work on what's the fastest pathway we can get there safely and without um, sending you know, people and communities to the wall, then we say, okay, we've decided that's the transition path. And for me at that point, we can't keep going back and saying, well, you're still bad because you're there because we said, well, no, this is how fast we can get those coal-fired power stations out of the system or whatever it is, we don't sort of keep going back and attack and we say, let's get on with building the new stuff that replaces it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this conversation and this whole season of Better World Leaders is primarily about transformation. Um, and I think, you know, what I saw and in our first conversation and you know, in, in what you've shared already, I think a lot of the the benefits of, you know, the experience of you know, that you can share and and the wisdom of people like you who've led through transformations and your work is enabling others to make those transformations is it's actually that's the kind of practice that we need right now. Like how do you include people in transformation? How do you overcome the fear that they can't change because that change means that they're going to be excluded and left behind or ostracized or vilified and all of those things, right? And you see this when something something as simple as we're going to put in a new IT system. Like, why do people resist something as relatively simple and you would think presumptuously beneficial as that, right? It's all of those, it's all of those things. Um, 
So just sort of hopping off the uh, very contemporary, uh, you know, sort of latest and so far good news, um, you know, in the energy transition. Let's 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 come back to you. Let's 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 bring the bring this back to the human level conversation between you know two people with we shared intention in this space, and let's let's lean into some of that experience that that you can share. Um, so a question that, that that I often ask here is let's let's look at some of your you know sort of moments of calling moments of meaning you know these instances in your career that you can reflect on and go oh actually there, there was something i did there what what was it that got me to do that and, and what does that mean to me yeah thanks there's there's been a few and um i think about some of the the steps i've made when i've chosen to to change companies is a, is a good example um because in that 25 years since uni, I've only, this is only my third company that I've been in, so I haven't jumped around a lot. I've done a lot of different roles in quite a few different places, but in terms of changing companies, it's only been a few. And so the first one, you know, the company that I worked with out of uni was a great place to start as a grad. It was really, you know, old school, hands-on, you're designing stuff and some people are building a giant workshop out the back and, you know, very um, steep learning curve. Um but what I could see happening again, and I will be talking a little bit about energy sector because that's really been, the, I guess, the, the lifeline through it all. But we got to a point where after I've been there for about eight or nine years, I said, okay, well, we're doing the same stuff. And while it's big, um, it's probably not that exciting for me because it's, it's the same. And I could see what was coming at that point. Um, and I was you know, always fascinated by what's cutting edge or what's coming next and reading a lot of stuff. Um, anyway, around that time, the first uh, grid-connected wind farm in Australia was was happening. It was in development and, and I thought, okay, wouldn't it be awesome to go and work on that? And, you know, I'm a project manager, engineering manager at that point in my career. Um, surely I could just go and be that on a project like that and reached out and... Um, and that was the only reason I left. There was nothing wrong with the company I was with, but when I quizzed them on could we could we play in this space, could we do this sort of stuff, and the response from our CEO at the time was, no, you know, we've looked at it. There isn't really an alignment with where our strengths are. So while we see it's happening, we don't see how we can pivot into that. And so that for me was like a next day, um, get on the phone. Yeah, right. <laughs> and see if you can, um, with no malice, just purely saying, well, if I can't play with that here, I'm going to have to, it's time to say Play with it there. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and, and, and off I went. And funnily enough, when I went, the, the company that was doing that, that I approached that was advertising for project managers and stuff, um, they looked at my CV and said, yeah, we'd like you to come on board. But you don't know anything about wind pumps, so we, you can't play on that project. And so, so they really wanted me to stay in the space I was in. So I really had to lobby hard and say, I'm only coming. I could do this stuff and I'll do all the other things you want. There was a big story about how to grow that business for them, um, how to turn around the performance of the actual business unit itself. Um, and for me, the carrot was getting experience in the subject matter area. But um, And that's probably also when my career changed from being about the engineering and the tech to being more about leading people and leading businesses or business units. And that, that really... Um, yeah, that, that was definitely a moment of clarity for me. It's like, actually, this is as exciting as trying to take a group of people somewhere. It's as exciting as deploying something new and exciting. So, I mean, it's great to see that, 
yeah, really from the, the sort of most sort of embryotic stage of yeah, what is now very sort of universal yeah, as, you know, renewable, green, you know, specifically wind, but, you know, you, you sort of recognise that as something that, you know, sort of called towards you. You know, you were drawn towards that light. I mean, I refer to it as, you know, the, the lighthouse approach. A lot yes. of the time for, you know, for change makers, you know, the, the preaching approach, yeah, outside of the four walls of, you know, whichever house of God you prefer, that doesn't tend to work so well. Uh, you know, like do the work, show up, you know, keep sort of speaking to the benefits, but in a very almost sort of this is how it's helped me, this is how I help others, you know, be that lighthouse and others will come towards you. You, know, you you've sort of been drawn towards that light very early on, uh, certainly in your career and also in the industry here. Um, so to, at, at what point did you sort of, find that you were looking at the leaders around you so that that's a that's a sort of that's a career orientation like that's a you know company to company move at what point did you start to sort of look at leaders and leadership and how people were leading and and start to sort of employ or sort of follow a similar light it was it was around that same time because i think as you start progressing and you start getting given more responsibility yourself and more leadership roles um, you you start to pay attention to those above you. In the early parts of your career, you're learning so much and you're so focused on the task at hand that I think you're probably a little less um, focused on who's the CEO and what the CEO doing. Um, and so for me, that's when I really started to pay attention um, at that sort of change point. And... And as, as I was realising that not everyone was as enthusiastic about change as I was, and I thought, I'm going to have to get some skills here. Um, I can see people aren't just going to come with me because I'm a nice guy. They, there's going to need to be some some talents and skills I need to develop to actually enable that. And so, I, you know, I went looking for, for leaders like that and... Um, and when you work in large organisations, you, you can find, you know, inspiration and mentorship and other things, even if it's not directly, even if it's not your direct line manager at the time. You know, and that's, again, that was something that I was lucky enough, I guess, early on to, to, to figure that out and then had some great mentors along the way. That really, that really is probably what sped it up for me is um, that. And also having... Um, I guess having people around you who who aren't hesitant to give you feedback, I think that that was probably one of the other things that, that stepped it up for me because um, I, I think if I think about the early parts of my career, there was this sort of concept back then that um, good leaders can do everything. You know, they they are the superhero leader, that's a GM or an MD or a CEO, and thankfully we've moved past that. But But back then... So there was this sort of sense of, oh, I have to project this external uh, version of me that looks like I have the answer for every problem, I can handle every situation, which is, as we know, that's that's uh, certainly not realistic. Um, and so, yeah, I think some one of the other step changes was when I sort of realised that that didn't have to be the case. And then, and then that... that um, that allowed me to achieve a lot more then because it was actually about, okay, well, I've got plenty of gaps, so let's make sure I've got a team around me who's strong where I'm weak, and that's 
you know, that's probably, I think, what sort of turbocharged the next 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot in there. Um, but, but, but before we, we, we sort of like hold and double click and, and cross examine some of that stuff, I, I, I'd like to ask another question, which is so what did that insight do and how did you then sort of perhaps shift your own sort of leadership style and, 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 and transform the way that you led? So one of them was um, realising that, you know, this theme around purpose and meaning in your work and what you're passionate about and being far more overt about that conversation, both in terms of, for me, so knowing for myself when I get up in the morning, what am I really, you know, really passionate about, what what am I trying to achieve, but also learning that for the people that are in my team, you know, so those, you know, um, that I really am relying on. And being much more open about talking about that and, you know, and having often led teams which are predominantly technical, lots of engineers, not always, but but often lots of engineers and other technical backgrounds, it hasn't been, let's say it hasn't been normal, normal, inverted commas, to even use words like passion or to get really emotive about, you know, this is a really big deal, what we're doing is amazing, you know, and trying to tap into that. And so for me... Um, that's one of the things I'm talking about is, is the point at which I went, actually, that, that's what I can bring, that's what I can do, and I can, um, if I start to show people that it's okay and it's not weird to get excited about this stuff and to be really passionate about it and bring that, um, then I think I can unlock a bit more in, in everyone else. And so many of the people that are in the teams that I've run are, you know, they're way smarter than I am. They, they've got so much to offer, but they're... Um, you know, if they haven't had permission to really unleash like that, then, you know, they're not, um, they're not bringing everything that they can. Yeah. They're, 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 thank you. There's a lot in there as well. I was listening to what has become um, my my own current favourite new podcast, um, which is called The Discomfort Practice. little plug for, uh, for Betsy Reid there. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, so one of the conversations I was listening to um, on the train back from Sydney the other day was an interview with a guy. I'm not going to say he's the head of procurement, but he's in a very senior procurement role for uh, for um, Nestle. Um, and, yeah, similar um, – some similar words and expression from him around how he he doesn't feel that fundamentally he's changed terribly much. But the, through the midpoint in his career, he had this realisation that it wasn't just okay, it was beneficial to those he was leading to sort of put this stuff out there, right? And whether it's heart on the sleeve or it's speaking to passion and, you know, now it's everyone's talking about purpose, but the crucial thing to it was that it's real, right? And another very overused word, you know, but that it's authentic, Um and, and, and when it is, like you I mean, you said a few moments ago, you know, it's, it's not enough just to, you know, to be a nice guy. Um, like to an extent, like that can be inspiring enough to get people to move towards you, right? But it's not enough to hold and fulfil the transformation that that you need. Absolutely, you need the skills and the capability to actually enable, um, you know, that 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 work to be done. Um, but I think certainly what what this guy Robin was saying, and what you're saying here, what I'm receiving from that is. I think there is very much a recognition, if not an adoption just yet, of this real benefit 
of being, you know, sort of truly authentic to yourself, what you believe, why you're here, you know, sort of like, and, and have this fire in your belly and, you know, let's go get this stuff done. Um, and that, frankly, that, that, that doesn't just exist in the domain of, you know, gen z or you know sort of whoever it is you know like the that like this is there's plenty of people around around the world who are in you know the generation that you know you and i are in you know like the the date stamp would say you're in a different generation to me um not by much uh but a little (laughs) bit um and here we are completely aligned around all of this most important stuff and you know if we told people that we were 19 years old, they'd be like, oh, yeah, absolutely, that's your generation. Like, well, that's not. That's not That's not what it's about. De- definitely. I think that's actually a really good point because um, a lot of things get rolled up into, you know, generalisations and, you know, okay, well, that's what that age group thinks and this is what this age group thinks, which is, which is absolutely false. And I think as well, you know, to, I think talking about, you know, the the people that I've worked with over the years who've inspired me, um, there are a whole range. I mean, there are people that I work with now who are half my age who really inspire me, and then and there's also people who I work with who are, you know, um, well past retirement age and still <laughs> working hard on stuff that matters to them and really inspire me as well. So, yeah, I definitely don't sort of subscribe to a lot of those generalisations about age. I think there are some patterns, you know, because there's no doubt different influences, you know, so they've been growing up with someone if someone grows up with social media now from day one, they'll they'll definitely have some traits that are different. Um but but I think what we're talking about is is being true to, you know, what matters to you, what's your purpose, what what do you actually want to achieve while you're on the planet. So I think that um you can tap into that at any age. So if if uh, if we move into a little bit of a of a sort of an educational mode in the dialogue, if if you were talking now, and you kind of are because I'm always learning, yeah. If you were talking to someone who leads and and they were saying, hey Paul, you know, can you can you give me some guidance? You know, can you give me some you know some prompts, some things that have worked for you? I want to get into this leading for transformation work. Um, what 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 sort of things would you you know would you recommend that that us as leaders who are looking to do transformative work should be thinking about doing preparing ourselves stealing ourselves for? Yeah, so I, I think that there's a couple of things you have to do. I mean, the first thing you have to do is you have to get crystal clear in your own head about the why. So whatever the change program is that you're running, whether it's internal or external or smaller big, you have to be really crystal clear in your own head on the why because you have to be able to stand up in front of people and be able to talk off the cuff and be able to answer any question. And you can only do that if you're clear. If you're clear in your head, then it really doesn't matter what someone asks you because you can reframe it straight away as to, okay, how does that fit into why we're doing this? So that's the first thing is you have to over-invest the time in and however that you do that yourself, whether you do that internally or whether you, you know, whether you do that um, with a whiteboard or whatever your preferred way of, you know, getting clear in your head, you've got to be real clear on the why. And then the other thing that has been really effective for me as well is um, you have to find, because you're trying to move a group of people, so you have to find the first followers, you know, to use that phrase. And I think there's... Um, 
there's been quite a bit written about this over time and there's there's a famous video on YouTube that you may have seen that it's from a music festival that looks very dated. And it shows it's this, this dude guy dancing, right? It's this guy dancing. Like, the, the, guy, the, the yeah. guy dancing by himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it's just great. And I've been in multiple forums where that's been shared and it, I think it's it's just such a great metaphor, this idea that, I can really vis- um, sorry to interject. I can really visualize yeah. you now, you know, in a conference with your you know stereotypically very conservative engineering colleagues, and they're just like, "We're just going to yeah. run a social experiment. Can you get up and do your best dance move, please?" And- <laughs> That's right. You have to wait a long time for the first follower in that scenario. But uh, <laughs> but I think if you leave it long enough, you'd still get one. Um, I, I think, uh, but I think that um, that metaphor though of going from that just watching that transition, right? So when it's just one person doing it, he looks mad, right? It's just some crazy guy dancing on the hill. And then slowly a couple more people. And then eventually you get to that tipping point where it's like if you're the one of the last couple of people left sitting down, you're the one who's, you know, what's the story with that guy? What's that guy sitting over there by himself? And so that just that that sort of thinking. So for me, finding the first follow-up or followers has been really, really vital and and, and the third part I'm going to say on this is, is, is sort of it's a follow-on from that. So that, the, that's the first one is crystal clear in your head on the, on the why. The second one is, is is find your first followers. But then the third one is around it's not enough just to have those first followers. So if you just said in percentage terms, let's say you're trying to move 100 people, um, if you get two to five people who straight away hear what you're saying about the change journey and go, yeah, that makes sense, I want to go with you, I'm on board, that in itself isn't enough. You still, as a leader, have to keep investing in a proportion of that other cohort, but not necessarily all 95 of them. That's the thing. You don't need everyone, right? So you've got to figure out that trade-off of how much time you invest in every individual. And so, but you certainly want to get to a point where you've got the majority of that core. And and so that what I've found is that the benefit of the first followers is they become advocates and translators and they'll be able to express things to that core probably better than you can, you know, because often I'll come into these turnaround roles in businesses, business units, and I'll be a new guy who's, you know, new to them. And so whereas if I get those first followers, they've probably known some of those people for years, so they can translate what I'm saying into the right language much quicker. So it's really effective. And I think But what I'm also, I guess, inferring there is there might be a rump of, you know, 10 to 20 people that will just never really embrace it. And you could spend a lot of time trying to convince them and for whatever reason you won't. So I think that's the other thing is to sort of be okay with that and go, okay, um, either they'll get it over time or they'll opt out. You know, and I think that, that that's important, you know, and that's what you're talking about, you know, doing this with a group of 10 or a group of 1,000. Or... A global population, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, no, no. I could, couldn't agree more. And I mean that that very much, uh, you know, sort of reflects our approach and, and a lot of the methodologies and, and and evidence, you know, that that, that we can now reference in our work. Yeah, you know, and I think this is there's a, there's a couple of sort of for me there's a couple of do's and don'ts and sort of ands uh, that I've I'd offer to expand on that. I think the you know that really inspirational leader who who does want everyone to come on the journey. Um, like they will burn themselves out and the organization down quite often um, by essentially over investing in those people who either 
won't for their own, you know, sort of belief structure reasons often, uh, or can't, um, you know, and, and for no amount of capability, you know, sort of uplift will, you know, can actually get there. Um, and uh, and to an extent, you, you need to sort of accept that releasing them to go and do and be elsewhere um, is actually the fairest outcome for everybody. Um and, and and then you know it's that sort of movable middle majority, right? Um, and you know those swing voters, if you will, uh, you know that what are the signals that that people are in that mass, and at what stage in the the sort of transformative cycle are they? What are the signals? Is it you know that they're physically moving towards, uh, or that they're asking for more information, or that they're asking really good questions? And then you know how do you invest in them, and how can you service that that curiosity and ignite it and, and and then sustain that and bring them into the next mode um and and people who resist like sometimes they can actually be very passionate followers um and i've had some what the first few times they happen especially as a young 20 something year old consultant they're quite confronting you know when you, you roll up you know full of you know beans and affirmation and let's get this done and people really strongly resist like often that far away from your nose um with lots of vitriol and reasons why won't work can't work tried it before never going to happen here um and often it is it is actually enough just to hold the space with them and sort of let them release that energy um and later speak to why and you know show a bit of that passion and purpose um and ask them questions how would you go about doing this you know what would need to change for you in order for you to just want to give this a go and so on and so on um yeah i've seen some incredible self-transformations of people who have literally stood there f-bombing at my face from very close proximity to it um because can't be done, won't be done, you know, you're wasting our money. And then within a matter of days, they're actually at the front of the of the peloton and, and they're the ones driving hardest to the line. Um, so, yeah, lots of good stuff in in everything that, that, that you said. I'd like Another question I'd like to ask, and I appreciate from a time perspective, we're probably not going to have enough circularity to, to loop back on some of those excellent points you made. So apologies for that. But what 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 sort of... Yeah, talk. Just speaking about resistance. I mean, what what sort of things have have either you experienced have held you back, or have you experienced secondhand, you know, through the eyes of others, are you know, sort of obstacles that people need to overcome in these transformative processes and journeys? Yeah, there's there's quite a few things. I, I think if I um, if I limit it though, I mean, one of the things that held me back early on in those roles was exactly what we're talking about here. It was it was actually me trying to have everyone on side, you know. And I think that comes from, um, you know, there's, you know, it's probably there's probably a bit of insecurity there, just wanting everyone to everyone to like you, right? Everyone to think there's you're that right nice here, guy right? again. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You know, surely everyone likes me. Surely everyone thinks my ideas are great. Um, but uh, that. That does hold you back, right? Because all the time you're spending with, with those last that last five or ten percent, um, you're neglecting everything else, everyone else, all those who've got so much to offer and are already committed, and most importantly, you're probably neglecting what's outside, which is your customers. And so, um, in my early sort of leadership roles, I definitely made that mistake. You know, just trying to be everything to everyone and trying to have them all on side. And I think. 
Um, there's a difference between doing that and giving people um, space to express themselves, what you are talking about before, you know. So I think you can do that. You give people an opportunity to test it, but then you don't keep investing your own time in trying to turn that around because it definitely, we've all got such limited capacity, um, you just have to be really selective with where you deploy your time. So that's definitely one. One of the other things I think that's probably held me back at times is um, in terms of progression was uh, a belief that doing a really good job would be enough, like that that would translate to progression or opportunities. Um, but it actually doesn't. I mean, it's certainly a fantastic building block, you know, doing a great job and smashing KPIs and um, achieving things is, is, a, is a vital building block, but that in itself doesn't necessarily guarantee progression or other outcomes. You know, you've actually got to be able to tell the story. People have to know you're doing it. It has to be visible, right? It has to be visible, um, and it has to be linked back to that, that whole story about why. You know, this is not something we just happened across. Actually, we set out on this journey. And just to segue for a second, I mean, that is one thing that I, I really do love is... Um, is if you can say, okay, we want to get from here to here and you get the team on board and everyone goes, yep, we agree, that's what we want to do, and you go out after it. And when you get there, let's say it's two years later or whatever it might be, and particularly if there's some quite tangible thing that you said you're going to do and you can actually be in that moment, that to me is is um, that's one of the best parts of leadership and just seeing all the people and how far you've all grown and you yourself have you know, grown, that's um you know, that, that's one of the one of the things that, that really keeps me going. No, I love that. So, so <laughs> I got to get because it feels like a rapid fire round now. Um, I'm going to keep going <laughs> with the questions because yep. what you've just touched on is something I've just been just been holding there, which is around reward, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and I think this this is another really significant you know sort of thing to to really sort of delve into with with all of this you know change transformation pivot whatever we're going to call it yeah. so often what i've observed is that the rewards are purely external they're extrinsic you know if we deliver this on budget on on time we'll give you some upside and here it is and it's x number of dollars or it's this percentage of or you know whatever um there's to my experience in my knowledge in the practice that we run that's not even the start of it like that, that just there's so much more. So, I, I kind of a personal question first. Like, what rewards have you received from taking this kind of approach? And then we can talk about what rewards do you believe are effective elsewhere. Yeah. So, if I talk about the rewards that are a longer lasting than um, anything financial or physical, the, the rewards that actually I think I value the most are the that some of the things we've touched on, right? So doing this stuff and doing it well, it's this virtuous circle of there's more meaning, there's more purpose. And so that um, that actually, to me, the reward is the way I feel. Um, the way I feel, you know, when I get up in the morning or, you know, you know dealing with you know, some household issue, fight between my kids, whatever it might be, um, there's a sense of, calmness that you can find when you're actually when you actually know that you're able to make a difference you know in this in you know in this work environment to do something like that it does for me bring a sense of calmness around okay um i've done something i'm you know i'm making a difference 
I've achieved something here, I've helped some someone or, or you know, community or planet or whatever it might be, but um, that, that's probably the biggest reward is actually that sense of fulfilment. Um, now, other rewards, um, obviously, you want your um, physical rewards need to be in order. You know, there needs to be an appropriate return. But as you say, that doesn't really, I don't think that has a big day-to-day impact. I think it's far more about the alignment of if my purpose and passion are aligned with the role that I've got and what the company needs from me, then that's 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 the, those are the really good phases of your career. And that's probably the best reward because you look at that, you know, you can't have that all the time. And so you go through those ups and downs and you go, look back and you go, actually, that that state of mind that I was in there, that was the greatest reward um, of all. And I think the other thing is it does also gift you, you know, it does give you those also those um, tangible benefits, right? So the financial reward often flows from that. And I think I've always had that belief that when you get the, the purpose and the passion aligned with the role, that unlocks outperformance or super performance and then the rewards flow. So I go to that, you know, and so when I have people sort of talking to me about, um, you know, chasing a bigger pot of gold or whatever it might be for themselves, I always bring it back to that. It's like, yeah, yeah that, that can be an outcome. But if that's the purpose, you, you're unlikely they're unlikely to get there um, if the end goal is just a bucket of money. For a handful of people, that might work. But for most of us, you actually got to come back to the, the purpose, the passion, that stuff. Then you'll fly. Then the rewards will just come up, come up their own accord. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I tell you, this is a bit bold and perhaps provocative, um, mm-hmm. but what, what's been going through my head listening to that very apt description of exactly what I believe as well. So thank you very much. It's like sitting in front of a, of a mirror. Um, so sorry, people, there's not going to be a lot of controversy between Paul and I here. There's a lot of alignment. I'm just going to sit here and say no, nod and, and smile and say thank you. But no, what's been going through my head is I actually feel like we need to rebuild or at least maybe sort of just reposition some of the points in Maslow's hierarchy, right? Like the hygiene stuff. Mm. Yes, you know, that's that's like that's survival. Get that. Mm-hmm. You can't pay the bills. Purpose is going to have to wait, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, although yeah. even then, purpose will give you some certainty and, and will kind of hold you even through those darkest hours waiting for the dawn to come. Um, you know, put my hand up, been there. Um, but, but also, you know, you're 100% right. And I think in this redesigning the future of work moment that I'm going to say we are in, or even arguably the future of life. Um, if, 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 if people feel like they have to have a degree of certainty, surety, comfort, achievement, you know, stuff that they've accumulated by earning all the cash and then they can get to actualization, fulfillment, purpose, and so forth. Um, but that's just going to, that's just going to repeat the non-virtuous cycle. Um, I think if we can shift what what you've just very aptly described and kind of put it down a couple of levels and go right next up next step up after satisfaction of hygiene is define purpose you know live values you know figure out your why and all of the other stuff now shifts up and you get there after that I think that is actually kind of at the heart of what's driving a lot of the kind of change that we want to see yeah that's really good and I think the thing is that you can you can help people find meaning in almost any role, you know, if you Absolutely. if you frame things for them, you know. 
there was actually a great um, story that uh, one of my team, this would be about six or seven years ago, um, and I was probably halfway through a, a pretty heavy change program with that team, and one of the long-termers in there, a fairly conservative person, but really someone who had embraced and, you know, got on board, um, he sent me this, just emailed me this little snippet of a story, and I, I I won't get the names right, but it's, a, it's about um, um, an architect from a few hundred years ago, um, and I'm pretty sure it was St Paul's Cathedral, and um, and it was talking about, so this, this architect used to walk around the site every few weeks, but he would just turn up dressed in very drab clothes, so he just looked like some nobody walking past, and he would just check out anonymously how, how progress was going, and it was a long project, like a multi-year you know, design and construct thing. And the story goes that he comes up to this first person who's, you know, digging a trench and he says, and, and what are you what are you doing? And the bloke says, I'm digging a trench. Then he keeps walking along, finds a guy who's um, making bricks, you know, he's got the mould and the mud and the rest of it and chewing stone or whatever he's doing and redoing it and making bricks, right? Because the next guy who's uh, mixing up mortar, I think the story was, and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm helping the world's greatest architect build the world's most beautiful cathedral. And it's a cool story because you think about that. So that third person had just as crappy a job as the other two, or just as hard a job as the other two, yet because of what he felt he was doing every day, his sense of purpose and fulfilment was, was through the roof, right? And he clearly listened to what the story was. Why are we doing this thing? What's it going to be when it's finished? And because he latched onto that thing of why are we doing it, what is it, he just had all this this, this fulfilment every day. And I think I'm sure there's a, a lot of licence and who knows how much reality was in that story given the age of it. But as a notion, I love that because I think that's that's what you want to try and do as a leader. Yeah, see absolutely. What, where they fit in. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I've, 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 I know that story. Um, <clears throat> I've sung in that cathedral as a much <laughs> smaller, uh, some would say cuter version of myself. Um and I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it was a verger who, who who took us around that 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 space, it, incredibly uh, evocative space, um, and, and and shared that story. Uh, and I mean, look, it's akin to the very overused, you know, Kennedy and the you know sort of janitor in the you know space center yes. analogy, right? Yes. Um, yeah, true, yeah, cleaning yeah. the floor or helping put a man on the moon, right? But I think mm-hmm. I think you're exactly right, and this is this is the work of leaders. Um, you know, it's not. What are they doing in the ivory tower? You know, it's not, you know, we're waiting for, you know, the instructions to come down. We're, we're waiting for the inspiration to come. Um, what's your page in which chapter of this story? Um, and and you, you define that. Um, and if, if you need some help to define that, um, then you go find the leader who can help you write that page, right? Um, exactly. Yep. So no, I, I love that. I love that. That's that's amazing. Now I'm I'm hyper conscious of your time and and you know because of our conversation previously, I know you've got you know an important space that is you know at, at least equally, if not more, requiring of of your time and contribution. Um, so I'm going to make this the the final um, question for today, um, and just say here and now, you know, thank you for for your time and and your contribution uh, and, and all of the wisdom and inspiration that you've shared with the audience here um, today and every day that this exists forever in the internet and <laughs> can, can be replayed um, in perpetuity. Uh, 
is there anything in particular you know that you would like to say to whoever's listening to this in terms of why should someone seek you out you know is there something that you want to be known for that anybody that's receiving this can say oh what we're looking for is this and therefore we should call paul look thanks for the opportunity to to do that tim and so um definitely for me part of the evolution of all that work i've done on energy transition for decades now is that i've really seen that what that is getting honed into or refined into now is broader than energy it's actually climate risk and so for us as a business you know we're we've been on a journey for a few years now really growing an advisory practice in tandem with our engineering and other technical capabilities because we see that that's increasingly important in a very complex world with a lot of complex problems is to have more translation of you know that technical capability into business problems and uh so for us yeah climate risk advisory and helping clients particularly navigate climate transition risk and climate physical risk is is where i'm now you know really focusing myself and in terms of the work that i do that's external with clients that's that's really where it's at so uh yes if anyone's listening and um would like some uh help or wants to talk about that i'd, I'd love to hear from them absolutely perfect brilliant and and we're very happy to facilitate those hopefully numerous introductions so uh, if you are listening to this uh you know there's some links in the in the notes on your device or on the web page um you know that, that you access to to get into this this audio stream uh so scroll down there and there's some direct contact details uh for paul there uh so you can you can do that you can click that button and, and you can make that request there or even if you're just curious um yeah, Paul. We've talked about you know the the podcast that uh, you know that you have as a firm. Um, yeah, so I've I've included that in the list uh, as well as the website and all of that that normal stuff. Um, so, mate, I'll, I'll put it over to you for some final words. But uh, last say for me. Thank you. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it's awesome to to observe and uh, yeah, be well, lead well, and keep on creating our better world. Any final comments? Look, thank you, Tim. I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to have a chat. You know, I think you've got a fabulous podcast and a fabulous, you know, business and a great message there too. I think I really liked um, when you reached out, I really, really liked that notion of what you're trying to do around focusing on we need better leadership to get better outcomes. Like to me, that's a really, it seems really obvious, but it's actually not the way um, a lot of leadership stuff is framed these days. So, I think you're on a great path and, uh, yeah, I'm just really grateful to have been able to um, participate. So thank you, man. That's exceedingly generous of you and and very kind of you to say. And, of course, you're right. Uh, So, (laughs) all right, well, Paul... Thank you very much. We'll leave it there for today. Uh, I hope not our last conversation as, as previously declared. And, yeah, let's see where the journey takes us. Thanks, mate. Good on you. Just such such a good conversation, such a great guy, such an inspirational leader and, and a real genuine pleasure to have that conversation. And, you know, I wasn't expecting that big compliment from Paul at the end. There have been a few remarks like that in the previous seasons and, and from other guests in this season. And, you know, they're always, they're always unexpected and, you know, heartwarming uh, and received with, with grace and humility. 
I hope. So <laughs> to review now, um, you know, my thoughts, um, I think the the aggregation of all of, of, of that wisdom and insight from Paul, what I'm, what I'm doing here is I think really sort of seeing three distinct categories within that conversation. The, the fact that conversations themselves are changing, that's good. We need that. And I think, you know, referencing one of the earlier conversations this season with Sandra D'Souza, like, there are many ways that we ourselves need to change our own interactions with others through listening, through more developmental modes of expression um, and how we hold a space to have all kinds of necessary conversations, both uncomfortable and exciting. But the three categories beyond this observation uh, discussed with Paul that conversations themselves are changing is around leading through transformations, which is perfect because that's our overall theme for this season, leading with purpose, which of course is a perennial theme here, and wholeness and developing potential, which is a really emergent theme now and something that we're going to be digging down into a lot more in the next couple of seasons with some really fascinating guests that will speak explicitly to those things. But at a high level, I, th I think you know, th th this, this sort of approach to leading people through transformations, just to review that, uh, as Paul said it out, first thing to do, get crystal clear about the why. And, and, and so really embrace that trying to take a group of people somewhere is as exciting as bringing in a new piece of technology or whatever the other things that people typically get excited about when you when you look at and think about transformative work. And then you have to find the first followers. And acknowledging that as you do and you embrace those people, that you are inviting them to become advocates for this transformative change. And then with those first followers, figure out the right investment in the core cohort that become and sort of sustain that second wave of change. And really acknowledging that some people just will not move either at all or fast enough to become part of that wave. And as Paul said, that doing a great job is just not enough to sustain change. You've really got to continually be able to tell the story of what you're doing linked to where you began with that why. And then around leading with purpose. So yeah, I think yeah, Paul made references probably half a dozen times to, I suppose, how unusual it is working with technical people and sort of process orientated people like engineers to talk explicitly about purpose and meaning and passion, but that how powerful doing so is and how productive it is and what it does for performance. And as Paul said, alignment of passion and purpose unlocks super performance. Well, wouldn't that be great? Let's get some more of that. But crucially that as you speak to passion and purpose, it must be real. It must be authentic. It must be genuine. And again, we've had conversations with Mel Lipkowitz and others exactly reinforcing that point. And also, I mean, we've touched on it, you know, the generationalism, uh, you know, that this, you know, purpose and passion and meaning is, is not a Gen Y thing. Um, and there's going to be another conversation explicitly exploring generationalism uh, in the next season. But, you know, to Paul's point, and, and, and very much, you know, I endorse and agree with this, that being true to what matters to you and sort of sticking 
to what you want to achieve, well, that can and should and will apply any age and is a, is a, is a sort of a cross-generational, all-generational endeavour. And then finally, you know, this whole thing around holes, wholeness and developing potential of holes. And I think this key that Paul sees is, is kind of his to carry and, and, and unlock as a leader is, is around permission, giving people permission to unleash all that they are. And as he said pretty early on in the piece, you know, he's had a lot of people in his teams that are very much smarter than him, but that their capability, their potential had not been unlocked. And that by giving them permission to do so, he's really unleashing that potential to bring everything that they can bring to bear. And then this, this, this nuance, you know, we talked about, um, you know, sort of transitioning in conversations away from um, sort of simple binary conversations towards more complex and nuanced ones. And there is a lot of complexity and nuance in working with holes and developing potential. And just to express one thing that Paul spoke to explicitly here is that there is a pronounced difference between just giving an opportunity and also providing space for people to fully express themselves as who they are. And there's going to be a lot more to come on this topic as we move into the next season and as we move into the next year. So with no further ado, please scroll down now. If you've liked anything that Paul and I have talked about and you want to get to know him and get more engaged with what he's doing, there's his LinkedIn address, there's the Oricon website, there's also the Oricon podcast that he featured on. That was one of the first things that drew my attention to him last year. Check that out. Um, and also, as I mentioned in the last couple of episodes, you know, we are now just in the very, very foundational stages of opening up a community forum for you, for the Better World Leaders. That's in LinkedIn right now. There'll be a bigger more sort of structured community forum i hope in the next couple of months but for right now just go to linkedin search for better world leaders and join that group um, we're trying to keep the the sort of the flow of goodness good inspiring better world leaders stuff um, through there on a daily basis so please join that please interact please come and be part of that community also of course if you have been inspired if you have been informed if you have been enabled by this conversation today please share it please subscribe wherever you are listening right now um you know i'm really being encouraged to do everything i can um to get the value that i'm being told we create in these dialogues get it out into the world um, so that we can help many 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 others become better world leaders thank you for today thank you for your time and attention be well lead well and keep doing everything that you can with everything that you are to create our better world. See you soon. As always, great thanks and appreciation to the team who contributed to bringing better world leaders to you. To Brendan Ward for production of all audio recordings and composition and performance of original music throughout each episode. To Cooper and the team at Radio Hub Studios for technical support and creative guidance during the episodes that are recorded face-to-face. To Knock Knock Studios for website design, hosting and advice. And to Sarasa Design for logo and site graphics. 
You'll find audio and video recordings of this episode, as well as links to any specific recommendations or related resources that were mentioned today in the podcast area of 4iLeadership.com backslash insights. This is the Better World Leaders podcast brought to you by 4i Leadership. 